scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Good morning. It's a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for those who are here. We have several who are visiting with us. We're especially glad that you are here and that you have been able to join us this Lord's Day. We or hope that you've been encouraged by our time in worship together. We always enjoy being able to sing praises unto God and to petition His name in prayer. And we are thankful that we've had that opportunity this morning. We're thankful that Jesus died on the cross, that we've gotten to remember His great sacrifice through the observance of the Lord's Supper as well. And so we're so glad that you have joined us this morning. We hope that we are going to be able to take God's Word this morning and seek to make application for our lives as well. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in the fifth chapter, Paul is concluding this epistle and he has just some final remarks that would offer some words of encouragement, some words that would guide us in how we ought to live. And just three important principles that we have designated as to be our theme for the year. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In just those three simple, short verses, the principles and the guidance rejoice, pray, and give thanks. That can help drastically improve the life of anybody if they will put that into practice. But I think especially for the Christian. And this morning we want to consider the first one of those ideas and what it means to live a joyful life. A life filled with joy. One where there is a lot of and great rejoicing that we can participate in and be a part of. And you might think as, uh, just by way of introduction, that Christians should not have to ever be told they need to rejoice. It seems kind of odd that Paul would even have to tell and write to Christians, hey, you need to rejoice always. That seems like it's kind of part and parcel of the whole thing, right? That just as a child of God, I've been forgiven of my sins. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to live for Him. That you would think joy would be a natural thing with that. And yet, at least six times in the New Testament, we find that having joy or being told to rejoice it is told to us, and dare I even say, commanded of us. Where God commands us to be joyful. 
One of those passages is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always. It's not just a mere suggestion. It is actually in the verb is an imperative. It is a command. It is something that God is telling us explicitly that we must do. That we must live a life filled with rejoicing. And it's interesting that we probably consider joy and rejoicing and happiness. We consider those to be emotions that you would think as just an emotional response. And sometimes we might have the debate, and it's very much a psychological debate more than anything else, but we might ask ourselves, are emotions controllable? Or do our emotions control us? And while I don't want to get into all the scientific evidence of behind that, I think there is a sense in which that is also a biblical question. Because while we may not be able to fully control our emotions, we can control in large part our response to our emotions. And I think what we can see is that no matter what, we must prepare our hearts and our emotions, and ourselves to be people who are joyful. And we need to train our responses. We need to train our mind and our heart to respond in a certain way. We need to train that muscle to behave in the way that we need it to behave, and that is one that would express joy and happiness. Because... Of course, no one likes being around someone who is grumpy all the time, right? No one enjoys being around that kind of person. Which I think indicates something about joy. Is because I don't like to be around that person who's that grump all the time. Maybe that's me, I don't know. But maybe that's why I don't have many friends, you know. But... I got a laugh out of that. All right. But joy is not about me, is it? Having joy is, and being joyful, it's about others more than anything else. And I know that seems counterintuitive because we live in a day and age in a society that says you need to seek your happiness. You need to find what makes you joyful. That you need to seek whatever it is that would make you happy and satisfied and fulfilled. That's what we're told all the time. But because I don't always like being around that person who is grumpy, that indicates that expressing joy is not simply about ourself. It is about making the world a better place. It's about making my neighbor a better person. It's about helping my friends and my family and my brethren and encouraging them and making all of our lives better. And so this morning, I want us to look at what God tells us about being joyful. I want to look at those six commandments where we find them in the New Testament. Those six imperatives where God tells you you must be joyful. And the first one is obviously in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Our text for the theme for the year. When He tells us to rejoice always. I wish I had gotten that 
as a memory verse in Bible class when I was a kid because that was an easy one to remember. Rejoice always. It's not just a mere suggestion. It is a commandment. And I think that means that we can, to some extent, take control of our lives and our emotions and our situations that we are in and how we are going to respond to situations. How we are going to respond in many ways to whatever it may be that we have to face. And the Christian's disposition should be one of joy and happiness all of the time. Rejoice always. Not just some of the time. Not just part of the time. Rejoice always. That this is something that we are supposed to have in our life at all times. That this is something that we utilize on every occasion. Because there is no occasion in which God is looking at our life and saying, nope, there's no, not a reason to be joyful. We're going to talk about that this morning. Because there are times where there are going to be hard times. There are going to be trials and difficulties. And guess what the recipe is? Be joyful. For God, there is not an occasion in our life where He says, nope, there's not a situation where joy is not a proper response. Joy is something that needs to be in our life all of the time. That means that we're going to have to fight to keep a spirit of joy in our lives because there are going to be times where we don't feel like being joyful, where we don't feel like rejoicing. But our happiness and our joy should not be dependent upon our circumstances. Instead, we can shape and change our circumstances through our attitude of joy. And so we have to think of this as something that is going to be a tool that can help shape us and reshape us and reshape our situations and help us through hardships and through trials and through difficulties. And the second command that we have is found in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord. Again, in chapter 4, he writes in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And you may think, well, this is exactly what he said in 1 Thessalonians, and you're pretty much right. But there is a little bit of a qualifier here, isn't there? It's not rejoice always, two words. It's rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. That God, He is the true source of joy and happiness for the Christian. And you know, I think many of us probably are aware that the book of Philippians, that Paul is writing this letter while he is imprisoned. If I ever find myself in prison, I'm probably not going to be very happy. 
I'm probably going to be feeling pretty miserable. I'm going to probably be missing my family and my friends. I'm probably going to be wanting to get out. And that's probably what I'm going to be talking about and telling people. Anyone that would listen, I'd probably be complaining about it. But Paul is able to say, rejoice in the Lord. Always. That no matter the circumstance, no matter what trial, no matter what difficulty, whatever it is that might be bringing sorrow or hardship or pain into my life, yes, it may not make me feel very good. It may not make me feel very happy. But I can, if I will stop and do an evaluation and think and consider, God is still my God. He still loves me. And He cares for me. And He promises that He will be with me. God is the source of joy and happiness. And I think it's always very sad when people think that God does not want them to enjoy life. I've run into people that have that persuasion, it seems like. They think that life is just about checking off boxes. Look at, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And that's what God wants. He's satisfied and I can't have any fun. I can't, I have to be miserable. I have to go around being all serious. I can't have any joy in my life. I can't laugh. I can't have any fun, it seems like. I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes with me. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in the fifth chapter, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, notice here what Solomon writes. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verse 18, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun, during the few years of which his life, which God has given him, for this is his reward. You might be thinking, okay, this is one of those places where Solomon is just saying, this is what people do, and this is what I shouldn't do. Because he does that frequently in the Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes. He kind of describes life. He kind of describes how all sorts of people live. And then he kind of says, nope, don't do that. Don't fall for that trick or that trap. And he says, you know, it's, it's good and fitting for people to just live the way they want to and enjoy life. It seems kind of what he being, he's saying there. Continue on in verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has empowered him to eat from them and to receive His reward and rejoice in His labor. This is the gift of God. He's not describing just someone who's out there living it up and being worldly and doing whatever it brings them self-gratification here. He's describing someone who is living a life for God. That this is the life that God has intended for them to live. He goes on in verse 24, He will not often consider the years of His life, 
because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I want you to see in these verses the words that Solomon is using. He says in verse 18, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself. That, that is part of the gift of God, that God wants you to enjoy this life. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy life with friends and family. He wants you to enjoy the product of your hard work and labor. In verse 19, in verse 19, at the end of that, he says to rejoice in his labor. And if we think that we're going to have any true joy or satisfaction in our life or happiness apart from working, we're mistaken. That if we're going to have true, a true sense of, and I say, I say a true sense of joy, a mature sense of joy and happiness, it means that we need to be working. We need to be people who are not lazy. We need to have purpose. We need to have a drive. We need to have a reason that we get up every day and that we're going to go do something and accomplish something. That's the gift of God. But he says he wants us to rejoice in that. And then obviously at the end of verse 20 when he talks about the gladness of one's heart. That the truest sense of joy that God wants us to experience. And if we're going to truly rejoice in the Lord, we have to first recognize what God wants us to do. That joy is not found in selfish pursuits. It's not found in... The, the name of, of the day, YOLO, you, you, you only live once. He doesn't want us to just find satisfaction through illicit drugs or sexual gratification, fame, or get-rich-quick schemes. He wants us to recognize that joy is found in hard work and giving to those who are in need. In the book of Ephesians, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Paul is talking about how we have to repent and how we have to live this transformed life, this life for Christ and what that looks like. And he says in Ephesians 4 verse 28, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And we need to work and we need to be laboring so that we can share and give to others. Joy is not just about, and work and joy, it's not just about building yourself up, it's about sharing with others. How countercultural is that message for people today? When we're talking about joy and happiness and, and satisfaction. The truest sense of joy that comes from God, it's the gift of God. It comes through work and enjoying the fruit of one's labor and sharing that with others. If we can be committed to rejoicing always and rejoicing in the Lord in the way that God wants us to rejoice, then we're ready to live the life that God wants us to live. The third command that we have is found in James chapter 1. In James 
chapter 1. James writes in verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Well, that's a bummer, isn't it? That's not much of a, a good message, is it? A positive, feel-good kind of statement. But you see what James is doing? He's saying there is not a time when you should refuse to have this attitude of joy in your life. There's never a moment in your life where it is not going to be appropriate to show a sense of joy. He says you need to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that, in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Trials in and of themselves don't make us happy. Going through difficulty and hardships and moments of sadness and grief and despair, those do not bring this emotion of joy, but we can still have joy because we can know that even through in going through that, we can endure and we will be stronger in the end because of it. And when we buy into the misperception that joy and happiness are mere fleeting emotions, and we do not try to take control of those emotions and train our emotional fortitude, and we're just going to be driven and tossed by the wind. Notice what James says in verse 6. He's talking about wisdom. He says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And if we don't try to take control in those situations, even where we feel that we have no control, if we don't try to express a sense of joy and happiness and satisfaction and thankfulness, then guess what? We're just going to be driven and tossed. We're not going to have any guidance. We're not going to have anything that would draw us back to God. But if we have a sense of joy in our life, then we are going to be driven back to God. And we need to strengthen our joy. We need to strengthen and train that muscle that would help us express joy so that we do not give in to our doubts and so that we do not wither under pressure of those trials that we may go under. In James chapter 1 and verse 11, as he's talking about and kind of concluding this section about these trials, He says in verse 11, For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. If we think that we're going to receive this true joy and satisfaction just through pursuing whatever it is that we want, and if we have deceived ourselves into thinking that there is 
no place for joy in those moments of trial and hardship, then we're going to wither. We're going to wither. You know, sometimes in those moments of grief and despair, maybe it's that you lost someone that you were close with. A mother or a father, a grandmother, a grandfather. Maybe it was a child. Sometimes those moments of grief and despair, they, they are just unbearable. But sometimes the, the thing that can help you the most is, is just a little bit of laughter. Thinking about the good times and the good memories that you have. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because if you don't have joy during those trials, you're going to wither. You're going to despair. You're going to be the double-minded person that he talks about in verse 8. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If we think that we're strong when things are easy, and yet waver at the first sign of difficulty. We're not ready for those trials. And we need to train ourselves to be joyful so that we are not that person who withers and gives up and gives in to our doubts. Another command that we find is from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as Paul is drawing this letter to a close, in verse 11, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. What an encouraging verse and passage of Scripture. This promise, assurance that God will be with us. But you want to see what is a key ingredient in that promise? Is rejoice. Be joyful. Be made complete. That you are not a complete and whole person if you do not have joy in your life. That God created us to enjoy life and to live experience and pleasure and satisfaction. That doesn't mean that we should live for our own pleasure and satisfaction if that's all that we do. That's called selfishness. That's condemned in the Bible. But a life without joy is a life that is missing out on comfort and living in harmony with others. It's missing out on peace. And most importantly, if we do not have joy in our life, we are not going to experience the presence of God in our life. God is a God of joy and hope, and He fills us with joy. 
In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 15, in Romans chapter 15, I want you to see here what we have as a promise that God is going to do. He says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we have this assurance from God that if we will have joy in our life, He is going to be the cause of it. He is the one that will give us reason to be joyful. And that if we have that joy in our life, then we are going to abound. We are going to succeed in life. If we want to be that complete and whole person, then we need to fill our life with joy. And that joy that He's talking about and promising us, it comes through living by faith. It comes through living in unity with brethren. It comes through an appreciation for God's plan in the Gospel. Those are all ideas that Paul has been expounding on in Romans chapter 14 and 15. That's what it takes to have joy in our life. To be made complete. But it's not just the Apostle Paul. It's not just James that writes about joy as a requirement for our life, it's even our Lord and our Savior. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in verse 12, in an imperative, in a command, rejoice, and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What impresses me about this verse is again that attachment and association with joy and a trial or persecution. Things that we think that are completely incompatible with each other, and guess what? They're being meshed right there together. That's what James did. That's what Jesus is doing. He says, you need to be joyful. There is never an occasion where you cannot have joy in your life. And our disposition of joy, that we need to strengthen and train our mind and our muscle to have is not to be distracted by any trouble that we have here on earth. Instead, I think it's that if we have that sense of joy, it's going to train our focus to be even sharper. It's going to train our mind on that reward that's in heaven. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. can't help but think about what Paul writes in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 13 and 14, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we focus so much on the here and the now, the trial and the difficulty, the hardships, the sorrow, the grief, the pain, the anguish, if that's all where our focus and our attention will be, then yes, we are going to lose that sense of joy. And I'm not saying that we should ignore it, but I'm saying we need to keep that in proper perspective. And we have to put, look forward while we are going through those hard times. And we have to keep our focus razor sharp on that reward that's in heaven. And if we can keep everything in perspective, then we will realize that there's something better ahead. That this life is not all that there is to hope for. We have hope of a promised reward that we need to forget what is behind us. And we need to reach forward to what is in front of us. And we must press on toward that goal. That's what Jesus expects us to do. To rejoice and to be glad. And then... One final passage for us to think about this morning. In the words of the Apostle Peter, another commandment that we have about joyful living and rejoicing. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 12, you're going to see a very common theme here again. The idea of trial and hardship and suffering in association with joy and rejoicing. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Peter says you need to keep on rejoicing. Now maybe you're reading like James or Jesus and you're thinking, okay, I can try to be joyful on the front end, but boy, I, something, sometimes things are so bad, things are so hard. I lost a job. I lost... Uh, uh, I lost my marriage. I lost a lot of things. I lost my finances. Everything is just gone. It's hard to maintain joy for long with that. Keep on rejoicing, Peter says. Not a mere suggestion, a commandment. You have James, Jesus, and Peter that all associate the need for rejoicing in the context and as the appropriate response to suffering and trials. And Peter says that if we're going to share in the sufferings of Christ, then it requires joy. Notice in the book of Hebrews, if you want to hold your place there in 
1 Peter, but turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what the Hebrew writer says about joy. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance that the race that is set before us. So he's admonishing us to continue to be faithful, to continue to persevere and to be faithful, just like those people of before us who have gone on before us, those heroes of faith. He goes on in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the, old, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, that joy that was set before Him, He had to go to the cross, didn't He? Guess what that indicates to me and to you about living a life of joy? There are going to be things that we go through that are hard. Where we are going to suffer. But, there's something better in front of us. Joy helps us maintain that perspective. To not lose sight of what is in front of us. And Peter ties that in. In 1 Peter 4, verse 13, he says, Keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. That is when Jesus returns again at His second coming. Joy is the reason that we look forward to Christ's coming. Where in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, Maranatha. O Lord, come. We rejoice even in the hard times. And we're asking for God to come to bring relief for Jesus to come again to take us to glory so that we can rejoice with exultation. Therefore, what Peter says is keep on rejoicing. Don't give up. If we want to have the kind of life of joyful living that God expects and wants us to have, we need to rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Consider it all joy, even when you fall into those trials and difficulties and temptations. Rejoice. Be made complete. Rejoice and be glad. And keep on Rejoicing. Six commands. 
that can help us lead a life of joy and happiness to improve the lives of ourselves, our friends, our family, and even our brethren. And living a life of joy will take our perspective off of the things that Satan wants to use to wear us down, and it will help us keep perspective on the things that truly matter. Our reward in heaven. This morning, you can have the hope of eternal life in heaven with our God and with our Savior. We want you to have that hope. We want you to leave here rejoicing that your sins are forgiven and that you are a child of God. You can become a child of God this morning if you're willing to come in faith to be baptized in water to have your sins washed away. Become a Christian. You can leave here rejoicing. He calls you and He wants you to come. God is merciful. He's willing to forgive you. If you are a child of God, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, you've allowed the things of this world to weigh you down. You've allowed temptation to come into your life and you've given in. You've not been living faithfully for the Lord. We want you to make your life right with the Lord. We're here to pray with you and encourage you so that you can have your sins removed and you can leave here rejoicing as well. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?